The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. On this episode of This League, we have a special interview with former NBA player, two-time NCAA champion, and now skills development coach for the New Orleans Pelicans. How do we say their name? How do we say his name? Corey Corey Brewer. Brewer. Corey Brewer. (laughs) We also catch up on some quick news, including a flock of birds that almost took down the Utah Jazz team plane. Russell Westbrook spitting facts about why the media is just absolutely trash. Uh, I mean, in some ways it's true. Some rumors about LeBron recruiting Steph. Huh? Scooby? Huh? And tackle also why or whether the Pelicans are or are not trustworthy. Kind of timely, uh, given that we had Corey on. So this story is pretty crazy. Utah Jazz team, plane, flock of birds, collision. Birds dead, obviously. No birds made it out alive. (laughs) I don't know if I needed to highlight that, but blood splattering bird guts and flames, Marty. Players said that there were flames. Players were letting their families know this could be the end. That's so terrifying. Fucking terrifying. So this is is the backstory. Jazz team plane took off from Salt Lake City Tuesday, flying to Memphis. 20 minutes after takeoff, thank God, 20 minutes after takeoff, by the way, not, you know, two hours into the plane ride because they would have had to turn around and maybe had to make an emergency landing somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Their plane struck a flock of birds, and for 10 to 15 minutes, players were sending their regards to their family members. Players said that they saw flames, and they ended up flying back to Salt Lake City. And instead of Adam Silver, I'm sure the, the team must have called the league to say, hey, we almost died here. But instead of instead of like, hey, take a day, we get it. We're we're delaying lots of games due to COVID. We understand there's some trauma here. Probably all of your team, all of your staff must be shaken up. They said, no, no, uh, there's a second plane. We need you to get on it right now. John Morant is waiting. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it like that, you're like, whoa, that's wow. Okay. So then the Jazz did go to Memphis. They got on that plane, except for Donovan Mitchell was like, no. I'm not getting on that plane. I personally am good on this whole plane business right this second. I am definitely not going. I get that. Did you know that Donovan Mitchell's greatest fear on earth is dying in a plane crash? I didn't, but uh, that's a rational fear. I don't love flying either. So I uh, a rare instance where I will uh, feel for Donovan. So Spider said that when he was getting drafted— his biggest fear was taking a plane on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean, I think about it a lot. Like, I would not want to be on a plane as much as these guys are. And I think flight attendant is the worst job in America. Hundreds of flights, like you said, thousands of miles. And he said, I take a window seat so I can clearly see everything that's going on, i.e. probably saw the flames, (laughs) definitely saw the birds. Knowing for 15 minutes there is some shit going down and Donovan is just probably face pinned to the window like, uh, guys, guys, things are happening. Turbulence. He talked about his fear of flying before. Uh, he said this before the draft. Can you play the clip? Enjoying the process. Loving it. I hate flying, though, so that, that's like the big, that's the bad part. I'm terrified of flying. Yikes. But... How do you deal with flying? <laughs> I just pray and just stare out the window I, I actually i'll pay extra to sit in the window seat that that's that's my thing i'll take the no leg room over to a window seat so i can see like where i'm going see why i'm going down and whatnot what why? landing is cool because like i know why we're going down but like 
you know, the turbulence kind of freaks me out. I see why we're going down. <laughs> why? I I stand with Spider. I get it. No way I get on that second plane. Can you imagine disembarking and you see that there's this photo of the plane and there's just blood everywhere? Yeah. Just covered in blood and you're like... It was a rough picture. Rough picture. Yeah. Like I said, no bird survived. And then you're like, okay, ready to go home, relax, lay in bed. And they're like, no, no, time to lock down Dylan Brooks. Fuck you guys. I'm out. If my greatest fear in life was dying in a plane crash and one of my greatest heroes in life 15 months ago dies in a helicopter crash, it is not inconceivable to think that I am Marshall, we are Marshall, might be in my future. It's not something that hasn't ever happened before. So, yeah, I would say if I am Donovan Mitchell, I'm like, yo, I'm Royce White now. I am taking buses. (laughs) I am taking trains. I will hire my own SUV driver to take me from Salt Lake to Denver to Portland to the Bay. I'll take one flight to get to the East Coast, and I'm taking the trains and the Northeast trips. Like, that's what I am doing. I think that they should just start road tripping. So the teammates, people were asking, like, how do they feel? Like, Donovan Mitchell didn't want to join his team, didn't want to join his team. Is he a good player? Is he a team player? (laughs) Everyone was like, no, we totally get it, Donovan. Because you know <laughs> you know, throughout Donovan's career, he's told his friends and his teammates like what his greatest fear on earth is every time he probably boards the plane. He's probably got a pocket full of Ambien and Xanax <laughs> and just trying to like make it from point A to point B. Jordan Clarkson, who I love, said, I, don't, I understand fully why Don didn't come. All of us were here in limbo. This is something that we've got to push through and get over it. This is just a tough situation. I don't think that's happened many times on a plane ride. I've talked to so many of my friends in the league, and they said that's their greatest fear as well. (laughs) Yikes. I do not know how long it's going to be until Donovan Mitchell gets back on a plane. I think I have similar feelings uh, to how Donovan Mitchell feels about flying. Like, I don't really think about it until I'm, like, on and we're about to take off. And it's like, oh, like, as a numbers guy, like, statistically, like, I know there's not really... One in 11 million. Right. But you're still flying through the air in, like, a tube. So, like, it isn't... It can be uncomfortable, for sure. And then to get that close to your worst nightmare coming true, like, and then ask to get on a plane 10 minutes later. Yeah, I don't think so. It's going to be interesting to watch whether he goes... There's a back-to-back home stand and then they're gonna end up going i forget where they go next we'll see if he gets on that plane (laughs) we'll see when he gets on the plane i promise you there's more to come on this story i think this is just the beginning if you are not familiar with this song represents it represents one why not mr russell westbrook we have a developing situation on our hands marty woo woo It is a love, I don't know if a love triangle is the right way to put it. It's a triangle between Stephen A., Russell Westbrook, and Russell Westbrook's wife. Uh, This is what happened. Stephen A. did what Stephen A. always does, which is come at Russ's neck for no reason at all. So Russ had an incredible night. It was what? It was 34-14 and 21. So three things were happening simultaneously. One, Russ had himself that night, right? Mm-hmm. Right. 34, 14, 21. Good Lord. And everybody was just celebrating Russ. He's had a lot of those nights, actually, by the way, this season. Yeah. In, in 50 games, he is now the franchise leader of triple doubles on the Wizards. <laughs> in 50 games, he now leads the franchise. Ever. I think he was I think he became only the third player to uh have a thirty point twenty assist night behind it was him, Magic, and someone else, I think. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that happened, and then Stephen A, like Stephen A always does, has to comment on it, right? Mm-hmm. And because Russell Westbrook appreciation segments, as you might know from our social clips, don't exactly <laughs> move the needle. He decided, yeah, stats are good, uh, but I'm going to actually use this opportunity to to slander Russ 
and discredit and diminish Russ and why he hasn't won a ring because all he is is a professional stat getter. He's this, he's that, like not a team guy. He's surrounded by all this flowery praise, but you know what? Stephen A is going to give him the stick, stick, stick. Play the clip. Russell Westbrook went off last night. We all know that. A triple-double, 35 points, 14 boards, 21 assists, 14 to 26 shoot from the floor, 4-6 from three-point range, and he did it all without Bradley Beal in uniform. And here's the most amazing part about Westbrook's game last night. I don't give a damn about any of it. Because the Wizards just are not very good. They're not going anywhere. You're 17-28 and 28 in the Eastern Conference, for crying out loud. They're not going anywhere. And this is far from the first time Russell Westbrook has played on a team that has fallen short. He's had talent alongside him his entire career. Oh, Don't forget John. Kevin Durant, James Harden, Paul George, James Harden again, Victor Oladipo, Bradley Beal. Yeah, where's the chip to show for it? Okay, where's that's that? enough. That has to Oh, hurt. my Lord. Okay, I mean, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I guess, like, cool, like, fine. So then Nina, I believe her name is Westbrook. Russell Westbrook's wife takes that opportunity to say, I've had a fucking enough of Stephen A going at my husband. Please stop. Uh, can you give us the gist of what she said? Yeah, so uh, she sent out, uh, so how tiring is it uh, to be minding your own business and have notifications pop up on your phone about people being negative and hating on your family? Facts. Yeah, uh, there are several things wrong with what Stephen A. Smith says here. And uh, she went on to say, uh, Russell is the happiest he's ever been. Not having a championship does not, quote, hurt him a lot. Uh, you know nothing about him. If you did, you'd know that he is way, way more than a championship. He is a champion of life, a champion of his people. He doesn't care about your championship and certainly not your opinion. And then meanwhile, the NCAA tournament is going on, right? And you got kids missing free throws, and these kids are getting death threats. You've got commentators saying all kinds of wild things. Perfect storm. In one instance, Russ is balling out while the NCAA tournament is going on. And I think Stephen A. has been talking shit about Russ since he was at UCLA, by the way. (laughs) So Russ, I think, has this timing could not have been worse or better, where he wanted it to directly respond not only to what Stephen A. had to say, but also about the media as a whole, and really wanted to illuminate how what we say in the media can affect that person's life and their brand. Here's what Russ had to say. You know, I watch these college games, and I watch these kids and these announcers, man, they get on their TV and just say anything about a kid. They don't even know him. They don't know his family. They don't know where he's from. They don't know what he's been through. They don't know his struggles. They don't know his pain. Don't know anything about the kid, uh, but one thing said on TV can determine how you perceive this kid on TV, which will allow him not to be able to reach his goals, uh, which will allow him not to be able to get drafted, which will allow him not to take care of his family, which will now not create gener- generational wealth. Like I said before, a championship don't don't change my life. Uh, I'm happy. Um, I, I, I was a champion once I made it to the NBA. Like I grew up in the streets. I'm a champion. Like nobody can. I don't have to be an NBA champion. I, I know many people that got NBA champions. That's miserable. Have they done nothing uh, for their community? Have done nothing for? He's just spitting uh, facts. The people on the recent episode of Brian Windhorse's pod, Mark Spears was talking about how he asked Allen Iverson why Allen Iverson is not in the media, why he's not on the jump. Allen Iverson said, "My entire career, the media did everything that they could to." Lift me up just to break me and pull me down. I don't want to say negative things about other players. And if I'm in the media, I have to. (laughs) And I think that's true. Yeah. The media always has had trouble balancing that. I have trouble balancing that. Yeah, I mean, it's a line you have to walk for sure. Speaking your opinion without bringing someone down and damaging their reputation. And you see that there are players who are great. KD, Kyrie, Harden, Russ, all happen to have played with one another at certain points in times. These players are distrustful and prickly to the media for a reason. Kyrie is a cancer. 
he's considered a cancer that has stuck around with him. You hate, personally hate Kyrie <laughs> for his Zodiac stuff that he does and his sage burning. He beats his own drum. More of the abandoning his team in the middle of the season multiple times. That's more, more to do with that. Kevin Durant. <laughs> And him going to the Warriors, and that has changed his narrative. You've got James Harden and him being selfish, and Russ has been painted with being selfish. These players have been painted in a way that their teammates, like we talk about with Corey Brewer, who will be on later on in the show, that these things aren't necessarily true, but the media says what they say, and then it's just like a dead carcass. You just drag it around for the whole rest of your career. And it's interesting because the business of commentating is that. Stephen A, no matter what Stephen A said, like that was interesting as hell to listen to, right? The way he said it. Mm-hmm. And I don't give a damn. Oh, right? I love Stephen A. Oh, I'm the first to admit it. I don't love what he says, but I love that. The man. drama. We are paid to entertain. Yeah. And there is nothing less entertaining than saying, Russell Westbrook's very good at basketball. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think the world kind of already knows that. There always needs to be a why. There always needs to be some level of context that things need to get put into, right? So Russell Westbrook does X on a random Tuesday. What does that actually mean for us viewers? Does that mean that he's closer to getting what this whole thing is for? The whole reason that they play these games, the whole reason, let me back up, the whole reason we say that they're playing these games is to win a championship. The whole reason that the NBA holds these games is to go and search for a championship. Mm -hmm. The reason that Russell Westbrook plays basketball may not be just to win a championship. It may be, like Harden said, he talked about this when he went to the Rockets, is to make generational wealth so that they can help feed their families and take care of their community for generations to come regardless of whether they win a ring or not. We, though, want to say, like, what is it about Russell Westbrook? He has all these stats. Is he a leader? Is he not a leader? (laughs) What is he thinking when he gets out on the court and he makes these decisions? Did you see him shrug off that journalist, Marty? Is he like that to his teammates? Like, we just make all these things up (laughs) because we have to find something for someone to want to listen to. Yeah. On a day-to-day basis, right? And also, like, how does this connect to the future? What does that mean about the past? What does this mean in terms of his legacy around all of his contemporaries in history? That's the formula. Past, future, historical legacy. What can we make sense of this one performance and make it into something greater, right? And that's why Stephen A. says what he says. This is why I say what I say. Like, you take one incident and then you extrapolate it forward. I just did it. Is Donovan Mitchell ever going to fly a plane again? (laughs) That's like what I said, right? Yeah. How many times can I say Russell Westbrook is really fucking good at basketball? But then it's like, oh, well, can he lead? Can he get a championship? Can he do this? Can he do that? Nobody wants to know, like, hey, Russell Westbrook donated $2.5 million to build a school. It's like, this is a basketball show. I, I came yeah. here to learn about what's happening around the league, not all of these things that he's doing to impact. And that's unfair, but that's, I think, the way that it is. Our brains are wired to do this, and this is the business that we are in. And this is a symbiotic relationship, by the way. If it's not for Stephen A promoting the league, getting people excited to watch and hate watch Russell Westbrook on a day-to-day basis. Russell Westbrook doesn't make $205 mm-hmm. million dollars in making yeah. multi-generational will. <laughs> so there's a certain point where that damage and that reputation is also what fuels the generational wealth. So I don't think this is changing. I think when Russell Westbrook has 21 assists in a game, Maybe time to heap a little praise. You can celebrate that. You can yeah. celebrate that. That's fucking crazy to be able to do that in a game. Damian Lillard had 10 assists in a quarter the other night. Mm-hmm. And I was like, immediately thought to myself, this man might have 40 assists. If you <laughs> extra, can you imagine? That's the reason, though, I think that you find one, players extremely distrustful. What are you going to do with this interview? What are you going to do with this time with me? How are you going to shape this and make me look? Two, I think that's why you have uninterrupted. You've got uh, Players Tribune. Sue Bird has a new media company. There are players who are now JJ. saying, JJ, there are, and we'll talk about him a little later <laughs> in the show, <clears throat> that say, you know what? 
I'm just going to take control of how I'm perceived. I'm going to take control of not only how I am perceived, but how my crew is perceived. We're going to put out our own content on our own timeline, how we want the world to see us. We don't want the media to be the only ones responsible how we're seen. I think that's fucking dope. I like that. We also still need people like Stephen A. to stir up the pot a little bit. And, and, and give them stuff to talk about and, on their podcast. And give them stuff to talk about on their podcast. And also give people a reason to watch Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Um, so it's an ugly business. And like I said, I don't think it's going any away anytime soon, especially with social media and Twitter specifically. It might actually get worse. Uh, this week. This is the kind of news I need, Marty, in my life. The news that's just so far from happening. I think it's almost impossible, but <laughs> still very, very fun to think about. Uh-huh. There has been a long-running rivalry. Somehow, like, some type of connection where, like, when Steph succeeds, everyone talks about Braun, and when Braun succeeds, everyone talks about Steph. There's a comparison that happens between them and their MVPs, and I don't know what it is, really. But it it exists. Mm -hmm. And it almost has been pulling them apart, right, from one another. LeBron has said some things about Steph. Steph has said some things about Braun. We won't get into all that, but you can just do some Googling. <laughs> and you know they've they've said some sh- shady-ass shit about one another. Yeah. Discrediting one another. Yeah. I mean, but, you play in four finals against each other. It's, there's there's going to be some feelings. Yeah, absolutely. But to see LeBron James take Steph Curry on his all-star team and to watch them play together, the joy that they had with one another, I immediately thought to myself, Marty... What would it be? What would a team look like with Braun and with Steph? Could they be the duo, the fir- like a duo that they don't need another all-star? Could they win a title together? That's immediately where my mind went. Is that where your mind went? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like you think to yourself, what could that be? Remember when um Kyrie and, and KD – were on the court during All-Star Game last year together. Everybody's like, oh, or two years ago. Everybody's like, oh, yeah. What are they saying? Do they want to go and play together? And they did, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So now the the news is bubbling up. Brian Windhorse, the LeBron James follower of sorts. He made his living mm-hmm. following LeBron James around when he was like 16 years old, mm-hmm. and now he's the guy. He had a podcast come out, same podcast with Mark Spear and Nick Friedel. And he said there was some possibility that LeBron James is recruiting Steph Curry. Here is what he had to say. LeBron thinks there's some doubt. Otherwise, he wouldn't be doing this. Because I know he feels a certain way about Steph. Because I watched it. Yep. There's doubt about what? What do you mean? You think think LeBron thinks he may leave? LeBron started recruiting him at the All-Star break. Yeah. Steph. He said, I know he feels a certain kind of way about Steph. When he says that, he means a negative way about Steph. Keep going. He's not going to leave. He's not not right now. He's okay. not going to leave. Fine. I mean, but I'm LeBron includes right everybody, now. right? So. Fine. He gets a lot of guys, yeah. too. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, <laughs> Steph is eligible for contract extension. <laughs> Hasn't signed it yet. Just to and be it's clear. It's not happening. Just to be clear, Steph, ha- Steph is eligible for a contract extension this summer. Hasn't signed. And LeBron started recruiting him an all-star break. Yeah, but he might be playing for somebody else and wants the next contract. Huh? Listen, man, I'm not denying. I'm just stating, I'm just stating to I'm not uh, taking he's position. still going to be with the Lakers. He might explain to New York school all the time. Uh, the, point, the point is well taken. I understand yeah, no, you, I where it. you're going, B. But... Yes. Please tell me more about this. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me more about how there's a possibility we could see Steph Curry and LeBron James in the same jersey together. Oh, my God. Of course, Mark Spear. Of course, Nick Friedel are going to poo-poo this. They cover the fucking Golden State Warriors on a night-to-night basis. Do you think they, in their mind, could ever conceive of a situation where Steph Curry spurns the Golden State Warriors and bounces? Absolutely not. No. Yes, I think that there's probably 0.00001% chance that that happens. Mm -hmm. But all I want to do is imagine a world where that is the case. (laughs) What do you think it would look like? I mean, they'd win a lot of basketball games. I 
I wouldn't love it. I I don't know. I just I'd I'd rather see them play against each other. I am a little old fashioned in that. I wouldn't love it, but the product would be something to behold. Tremendous. Something truly to behold. Just imagine one. These two guys enjoy the game physically out out there for the world to see. Right? Remember when Steph Curry did his little shimmy shimmy and he kind of squatted, pretended he pooped on the court. Oh, yeah. And Braun doing the things that Braun does when he's, like, feeling it. Them two together, hyping each other up, would be insufferable, for one. Second of all, they would be shitting on the rest of the league. Braun playing the point. Steph coming off ball. Just that duo? Just imagine it for a second. Steph running around doing Steph things. And LeBron, no-look passing, Steph cutting to the lane. Oh, my Lord. The ratings, Marty. <laughs> the ratings. NBA wet dream in terms of ratings. Oh, it would be wild. On a Tuesday night, on a Wednesday, any time. I would watch every, even on the East Coast, I would watch every single Laker game. Yeah. I don't know what the record for national TV games, but they would break it. They would yeah. break it. <laughs> I mean, every single game would be nationally televised, I yeah. think. What do you think it would be like if, in terms of like who wins the trade, AD for Steph straight up? Ooh. Uh, I mean, AD's younger, uh, but Steph's going to be able to do what he does for a long time. I don't know. That's actually very interesting. I would, I don't know. They already won with AD, so I would say let's, like let's, a, let's just keep rolling with this. Imagine. Steph Curry signs a max deal with the Warriors. Two years from now, he's like, this is not. You guys like big men way too much. Who wins the trade? It's AD and Clay, Wiseman, Draymond. I don't know who else is there at the time. They'll have Minnesota's pick if it's not number four or if it's not three or below. And Steph's like, you know what? I'm out. I think, like, both teams get better. You do? (laughs) I mean, get better for me in my mind. (laughs) I don't know. I, I would kind of. I, I don't love AD and Wiseman playing together. I don't love that. Pairing. He could probably ship Wiseman the fuck out. I don't know, man. It just is so enticing to me. I thought about it for a long time after that All Star game because Braun was just like hyping Steph up. Shoot from half court, Steph. Shoot from half court. Can you imagine all the shit he would get Steph to do on a night to night basis, just like pumping up like his fucking hype man? You got LeBron James, the hype man. Steph Curry, the hype man. Oh my god. I know the embers are just going to keep keep burning until Steph signs that contract, though. I know that. Could you hear how giddy Windhorse was when he was delivering that news? Yeah, he had a little, uh, yeah, you could hear it in his voice for sure. That is the duo we all, except for you, Marty, want to see. <laughs> There's a little Laker cleanup, though, to do. Also, following the Drummond to L.A. news, did you hear this? Dennis Schroeder, first of all, Dennis fucking Schroeder offered uh-huh. $21 million per year yeah. and did not say, yes, please. <laughs> he said, no, thanks. He said, no, thank you. Who the fuck is Dennis Schroeder think he is? I don't know. I don't know. That's a that's a shitload of money. And that's certainly, I mean, it's, yeah, that was that was very bizarre. You Dennis would think Schroeder that he would jump Kyle, at that. Dennis Schroeder thinks he's Kyle Lowry. <laughs> he, he thinks he should yeah. be 24 $25 million? I don't know. I mean, you, you can't go too much further up from that until you get to the max. <laughs> He's not a max player, so. He's not a max player. No. Like, if you look at guys who are making in that $24, 25000000 million range, shit, I thought Dennis Schroeder was in the Lonzo range, and he got offered, he gets paid the Lonzo range right now. Yeah. And he says no to $21 million. I don't know what's going on. It seems like he's got them over the barrel because there's a lot of news saying like, oh, Lakers think that Truder's the future. The point guards, they need to lock him up. They're offering him an extension now. They want it to get done, blah, blah, blah. Like, is Dennis Schroeder better than we think he is? <laughs> Maybe they're thinking the cap's going to go up. Maybe. I mean. But like, that's uh, that's a pretty big gamble. It's an $84 million gamble. <laughs> after a pandemic, though? Yeah, I don't know. They're already paying Braun the max. They're paying AD the max. You give Schroeder that money? What Crazy. are they doing? Twenty, like imagine a team offers him twenty four, twenty eight million. At some point, you got to figure out like he's too expensive, man. He's too expensive. Also, other news: the Lakers have a plethora of centers. 
I know that Andre Drummond went down with um, a toe toenail injury. Yeah. I know that sounds funny, but I'm sure it hurts a lot. Oh, they hurt, yeah. They hurt a lot. Toenail injury has sidelined him, but they have Montrez Harold, they've got Andre Drummond, and they've got Mark Gasol, and then they have AD, who likes to play four, but he probably will play five in the playoffs when he comes back. So it sounds like one too many centers. They've asked him, they asked Frank Vogel whether they were going to waive or buy out Mark Gasol, and he said, we have not talked about that. But he did not say no. (laughs) (laughs) He just said, we haven't spoken about that just yet. Doesn't hurt to have a veteran big man in your pocket. He's very smart, can pass, gives you lineup flexibility in case you need a a guy like Mark Gasol to play make, say Dennis Schroeder goes down or something happens. What do you think? Do you think that they keep him? I mean, I don't know. The, the, he would get swooped up, I, I would imagine. That, like, There's got to be a guy, a, a team that can use a backup big like that. So I don't know. If you release him, then you risk like Phoenix or someone like yeah, Clippers. scooping him up. Clippers, yeah. I think that's exactly right. I think you've got a player who's definitely washed but skilled. Great locker room guy. We know that. And what like are we doing here? Genie Bus has the money. <laughs> just pay the luxury tax. Just pay out it out. Let LeBron have another good locker room guy and keep other contending teams from getting a big man that they might need. In the heart of the city, there's no love in the heart of the NBA, it sounds like. Ain't no love in the heart of the big easy. <laughs> oh no, new news coming out, Marty. Yikes. We've been hearing about guys so happy with their new teams. Vooch. It's happy in Chicago. Fournier. Fournier for Fournier in Boston. (laughs) 40 players traded, most of them happy to be in a new situation. One player not happy about how the trade (laughs) went down. A man with a massive platform. A man who is a shooting specialist with his own podcast took to the streets to air out the New Orleans Pelicans and their business about how they handled him all fucking season. Did you hear any of this? Yeah, no, I, I, I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so here's here's the deal. On the last episode of the Old Men in the Three podcast, J.J. Redick went ham about how he felt like the Pelicans fucked him over and lied to his face. Here is the timeline. He made a trade request in November. As you remember, late start. Mm -hmm. December 22nd was when the season started. So he asked for the trade. Still the offseason. Yep, still the offseason. He asked for a trade. He saw the writing on the wall with Van Gundy that he was not going to get enough touches. And he was like, yo, David Griffin. And uh, the GM Langdon, who's also a fellow Dookie, he said, yo, I... Don't want my family to leave Brooklyn. I don't really want to leave Brooklyn either because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I don't want to move them and deal with this. And they're, they're settled. They're sheltering in place, if you will. And Griffin said to JJ, like, just come down for a month. Like, if you like it, like, you're good. If you still want out, I give you my word. We will get you to a situation that you like. And Reddick was like, he obviously <laughs> did not honor his word because I told him I wanted to be in any city that on my off day I could take a train or a bus to see my family. I don't need to be in Brooklyn. I know that that's unfair. But just trade me anywhere, D.C., Philly, Knicks, anywhere that I can drive to see my family mm. in an off day. Yeah. So – he was like, I look at the buyout situation not as like, oh, I'm going to go get bought and go to Brooklyn. I just wanted to be able to see my family and be in driving distance. He then explained his why he was so fucking pissed in detail. He said, why? <laughs> this is crazy. Why should any player trust this organization at all? <laughs> I don't think you're going to get honesty from that front office, objectively speaking, and that's not an opinion. I just don't think you're going to get that. And... Here's where it gets really real. I don't think what happened with me is necessarily an isolated incident. I think front offices around the league operate in their best interest, and I get that. I understand that. Truthfully, I do. I think I was a little naive, though, thinking I was in year 15, attempting to do things the right way throughout my career. But in terms of this front office, yeah, 
It's not something where I would expect the agents who worked on this with me to ever trust that front office again. And he ended up in Dallas where he did not, which is, by the way, not in driving distance of Brooklyn, unless you're Donovan Mitchell. (laughs) (laughs) He said he was jarred by the trade and told Mark Cuban, yo, in any other year, I would be so thrilled to be here, but I need to see my family. So basically he was promised after a month he'd be able to go where he wanted to go and he just never got there. Interestingly enough, did a little research. J.J. Reddick's agent is the same agent that represents Zion Williamson. (laughs) I'm not saying that there's tea coming along the bend, down the bend, but I don't think it was a coincidence that he made it so stark that I don't think my agents will ever trust this office again. Man. That just goes to show you maybe don't fuck over a 15-year-old veteran with a megaphone of a podcast. He's been interviewing everyone. Oh, yeah. He interviewed Zion the other day, this person, that person. You don't think there's always an in-between period where you're not quite recording, but you're not quite not talking about the thing. I'm thinking maybe during those times he's going to sewer New Orleans. If he has the opportunity, like, fuck New Orleans. By the way, fuck New Orleans. They ask him. (laughs) It's really going to be interesting to see how this is going to affect the Pels going forward. Um, Do you think that it makes any difference? For them moving forward? I mean, lucky for them, they've got four to five years to mend that relationship with Zion because he's stuck there uh, until then. Uh, But this is very bizarre, and I don't really even get it, like, why— why would Griffin give him his word if they had no interest in doing that? Because you could just say, like, no, you're making $12 million and you're in year 15 and you're having the worst year of your career. No. Like, I'm, I I can't make a decision on my roster based on what you're asking. That would be, I think, a reasonable thing to say. But or just buy him out. Or, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And then, But then to just come say, hey, we're going to trade you. He to, traded him to Dallas for chips. Yeah. For, for nothing. Yeah, it really, yeah. No, it was a weak move by Griffin. I don't really get it i don't I, I don't understand the advantage that he got from it at all me neither up next is an interview with cory brewer <laughs> cory brewer today on this league we have a very special guest two-time ncaa champion probably on one of the best most dominant ncaa teams of all time i would say uh 14 year vet responsible for killing the clippers title hopes Now a skills development coach with the New Orleans Pelicans, Corey Brewer. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks for having me. Do you remember me? Uh, You look so familiar and I'm like, (laughs) I I know. (laughs) Why do I know? (laughs) So, Marty, I'm going to tell you this story about how me and Corey first met. Okay. I was working for USA Today at the time. And I was just a little baby in the media space. I was just trying to do my thing, just trying to make moves and like be unique and be different. Right. And USA Today is one of those places where it's like you kind of have to try to drive news. But I was not about that. And and Corey was with Covey. They were both in the L.A. offices of USA Today. He was with Robert Covington, another one of my favorite players. And I was doing. I think we were doing an interview, but I, I was doing some push a push up challenge. Does any of this ringing a bell? Yes. (laughs) So so we do this whole thing, and somehow it comes up. (laughs) This is so stupid. So it (laughs) comes up. I tell Corey and Covey, I have hops. And these guys guys are like, I don't think you can touch that exit sign on the ceiling. And I'm like, yes, I can. I am certain that I can. (laughs) And Corey's like, I don't think that you can. And for whatever reason, me as me that I am, I'm like, well, I'm going to show you that I, I know that you guys can dunk, but I really want to show you my vert. Like, <laughs> so I, t- I asked Corey, I say, can I take a running start? He's okay. like, yeah, sure. At this point, I'm pretty certain he does not think, which is making me more aggressively wanting to touch this exit sign. So I run and I, I slap. Cause you know, I don't know if I'm going to like barely touch it with my fingers or what. I needed to touch it. And I ended up touching it in the middle of the hand. The exit sign falls down. Boom, crash. Oh, no. 
hits me in the face, I fall. <laughs> no, I do remember that. Because you, you smacked it hard. <laughs> <laughs> and it did not go at all the way that I planned. And Corey's PR person was, was a woman. She was pumped that I ended up doing it. Everybody was a little concerned whether I was going to touch it because there was a lot of build up and lead up to this. So I didn't know if you would remember that, but how crazy when you, when this happened, Corey, were you thinking to yourself like, what the fuck am I is happening? No, I was like, she really just broke the exercise. (laughs) (laughs) That was the thing. You got it though. You touched it. (laughs) Like I think now back to it. And it's like this five foot five journalist is really trying to show her hops to me. Like (laughs) (laughs) ball is life, man. (laughs) i honestly don't know even know why i did it i just i don't even know why i was trying to flex like that it was just the all-time trista move i mean it sounds like you had the hops though i did have the hops you want to show your athletic ability had to had to show i was also an athlete like i said before you were on one of the most dominant ncaa teams in at least my memory right you would you would say that that's that back-to-back i went to oregon so that was a that elite eight hurt. Oh yeah, that, we, we had to take Oregon out along had, the way. Yeah, to take us out <laughs> along the way. Um, I think you guys had upwards of ten pro players on that roster. Oh man, we had uh, at least six for sure. And then some international pros. Yeah, we had some guys to play overseas. Yeah, so we had a lot, a lot of guys to play pro basketball. Actually. That's wild. Six NBA guys, four international players. Um, it was one and done, super popular then too. But you guys decided to come back and take me through that decision. Um, why you guys decided to do it and how you came to that kind of conclusion. Um, it was a thing that me, Joakim, Al, and Twin Green, we all came in together. So our freshman year, we were roommates. Um, and we just instantly became like best friends like all four of us we were always together we did everything together um we were always in the gym playing one-on-one playing two-on-two we just loved to play basketball we also just like we loved each other like we had a blast together and it was just one of those things like it was just chemistry instantly so um you know we had david lee matt walsh and anthony robish in our freshman year and um, me and Al started, but Joakim and Tor- Joakim really didn't. He didn't even play. And Torian came Wild. off the bench. It was crazy. And Torian came off the bench. But the next year, it was like, it was our time. Like, those guys went pro. And it's like, it's our team. Like, we're all roommates. We're together every day. Now we're all we're going to start. And then our guy, Lee Humphrey, that was, our, that was my man. He's from Tennessee also. I'm from Tennessee. Uh, we have been knowing each other for a long time. We played on the same AAU team. So me and Lee was pretty close. So like I was hype. I'm like, yo, this is us. Like this is our five. Like we got a chance. Like and nobody gave us a chance. We were ranked like 75th at the beginning of the year. <laughs> so, but we still believed in ourselves. So we started out 17 and 0. We had a little hiccup, but then we we ended up winning the championship. So you know everybody's expecting us to go to the draft for sure. You know after you win a championship, you know our stock was highest. Like really hot. We're all going to be lottery picks. That's what they were saying. Joe Kim was probably going to be the first pick. Definitely. Number one. Bargnani doesn't go number one. If we come out, no shot. Definitely number one. Um, But it was one of those things where, you know, when you're having so much fun, it's like, you don't want it to end. We really didn't want it to end. Like we were having that much fun. Like it was like, just everything was perfect. Like we, we live together. We see each other every day. We're winning. Like, we're at the University of Florida. Like, amazing campus, <laughs> football teams winning. Like, every day is a great day when you wake up. So, um, so after we won it, we all went home to, like, see our families. And we were trying to make a decision. And, you know, me personally, I went home and my dad was like, you don't have to go to the NBA. About the, it's not about the money. It's not about us. Like, we're we're fine. Like my, my parents were older, so my parents were in their 60s at the time. They were like, we're, we've lived our whole life. This is all about your life. It's about what makes you happy. So for me, when I went back to school, I kind of 
I was like, I want to stay in school. Like I'm having so much fun. I, don't get me wrong. The NBA, I want to, I want to play in the NBA. It's a dream come true, but you you can only go to college one time. Once you leave college, it's over. Like you can't just go back. Like now I guess guys can test the water. Back then it was like, you either win or you didn't. Um, so when I got back, I was kind of like leaning. like, I wanted to come back. And then I, th- I feel like Al was kind of leaning towards going. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe was more like, Yo, if we're if we're coming back, we're all coming back. If one of us come back, we're all coming back. So after talking, we kind of decided, like, man, we're having too much fun. We can only do this one time. Like, like let's do it again. Let's let's go one more time. Let's 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 see if we can win back to back. And we finally made the decision. Like, let's do it. We're coming back to school, and it's a great decision. That's dope. How do you think you guys? You guys were all roommates. How do you think that? changes the on-court chemistry oh it definitely it, it helps a lot when you're with somebody every day you live with guys um me and Al had a bunch of the same classes like we were just always together so you kind of like you really know those guys you know their tendencies you know what bothers them you know what makes them happy it's just one of those things so you just get to really learn their personalities I feel like that's the biggest thing we really knew each other's personality so when we got on the court you could kind of you know how to push the guys' buttons to get them to play harder, to get them to do something extra. Hey, y'all did that big like announcement uh, in the arena when you decided to come back. The three of y'all, what was that like? Because you gotta, you had to have gone into that situation knowing I'm never gonna own a room quite like this ever again in my life. So, what was the build up to that? I mean, uh, it was amazing. It was so many people there. Like yeah. that's the big thing. Like the whole old dome was like packed it was like a a game against Kentucky or something it was packed so everybody was just happy they were hyped we just won we had the trophy there like everybody wants to know like what what are they gonna do yeah like you said we got the whole room all eyes on us and you know we said we were coming back everybody just goes crazy it's like a moment you're never gonna forget yeah and then T-Bus swagger jacked you a couple years later yeah it's okay (laughs) okay you know we did it first. Just kings <laughs> on campus. Just like a victory tour, like a float an entire next year to go back to back. Do oh, you, for sure. When you watch March Madness now, if it was me, I would be comparing my team to every March Madness run that there is, right? Like, I wonder how our team would stack up against this national title team. Do you do that? Oh, for sure. <laughs> like, if you're watching the games, you're like, who's going to win it all? Like, could they could they beat us? Like, no, there's no way they could beat us. Like, like just thinking back, just looking at all the teams, like over the years, I've been doing it for years. Like, I always come to the conclusion, like, nah, they couldn't beat us. You don't think since since 07, any national champion would have beaten you guys? No way. Like, it's been some really good teams. Don't get me wrong. Like, even the, the Kentucky team with Anthony Davis was really good. Like, but it's just like there's no team that could beat us because we had everything. Like we had all five positions. Like I don't really look at a team like has all five positions and definitely there's no two bigs, like two bigs together. That was better than our two bigs. That's facts. You believe that Marty? Do you think that's true? That no team since then? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I can't really think of one. This Gonzaga team this year is fucking, they can ball. So I don't know if they may, I don't know, though, man. They're not built like I that. I wouldn't put them, put them up against them at all. No They're way. They're not built like that. There's, I mean, it's Gonzaga. It's true. Gonzaga. Yeah, that's true. I mean, enough said about Gonzaga. Like, no shot to the Pacific Northwest where I'm from. But, like, those Florida boys and a bunch of friends that are living together. I mean, you guys were hard rocks. Joe Kim Noah is a fucking hard rock. Oh, for sure. We, nobody's playing harder than us, for sure. Yeah, him swim, doing his swimming thing when he runs. <laughs> <laughs> You said that uh, Georgetown and Jeff with Jeff Green and Roy Hibbert were Florida's biggest test, right? We were just yeah, that year. Um, they gave us the biggest problem because they slowed the game down. We like to play fast, and we were getting up shots, shooting a lot of threes. Um, they slowed it down, and they um, they gave us some trouble. And it came down to us making some plays at the end. But um, Jeff was playing great, and Roy was that's a big dude. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about last episode, kind of the death of the rebounder. And how guys like Roy Hibbert, you just basically woke up and all of a sudden Roy Hibbert was no longer a playable playable piece, right? The traditional center has sort of 
been devalued. Um, as somebody who's in the role that you're in now, do you think that there's room for a traditional center in this league with the modern NBA or no? Oh, for sure. It's just um, certain situations, certain teams you can play guys, but a lot of teams are the way they're building their teams. It's all about shooting and spreading the floor and a lot of space. But like if you build your team and you got a big that can really play, um, he's going to play. But I mean, it's not like it's not like the past years. <laughs> like just because you're seven foot, you're not guaranteed playing the NBA anymore. <laughs> yeah, at one point in time, it was like all you have to do is be born tall. Oh, uh, for sure. If you were seven foot and you could rebound, you were definitely going to be in the NBA. I still can. I still contend. If I was seven feet tall, I could have had Spencer Hawes' career. <laughs> hey, Spencer Hawes on bad. Oh, he could. No, 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 no. It's a it's it's a testament sure. to my belief in myself, not Spencer. Marty also thinks he's an athlete. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you you don't see Marty right now, but he also believes that he is an he's oh, an athlete. For sure. Seven foot though, you you got a chance to do some things. <laughs> I feel the same way. If I was seven foot tall, I would have been doing some things. Uh, me too. If I was seven foot, I feel like I'm still playing. <laughs> No doubt. You uh you play with a lot of great players, Russ being one in OKC. Did you see what uh he recently said about Stephen A? Oh uh, yeah, I seen um some of the stuff he said, some of the stuff um about how the media portrays you and stuff. So What do you what do you think about that? Um it's true. Some guys get bad reps. Like it can be one thing somebody says in the media and it it follows them around their whole career. And that might not even be anything. That person may not be like that at all. So it is understandable. So, and for a guy like Russ, he really does a lot in the community. Um, he's a great teammate also. I, by, I played with him. So I know personally one of my favorite teammates. Um, he's all about winning. He's going to, every night he gives it his all. Like you can't not like a guy like that. It goes out there every night and plays his tail off. So sometimes it's a lot of, a lot of unfair criticism. Yeah, he's one of those players who's maybe one of the few that still goes full max 82 games. For sure. Like with, if he can play, he's going to play. With load management, he's going to give you 100% every single possession. What do you think the biggest difference is between how he's been painted and how he actually is with his team? Um, I just feel like sometimes people, they, they think he's selfish or he's not really about the team which is totally opposite of what he is. He's um, a great teammate. He's all about the team. He really wants to win. I remember Steven and, Adams said that he and um, Russ would like fight over rebounds sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Russ gonna, he's going to try to get every rebound. <laughs> <laughs> There's a balance between happiness and chips. Definitely. It has to be a balance. Um, you know, now with everything going on in the world, it's a lot of different things going on. So, Guys are doing doing what they can in the community, and it's really it's really a good thing. Like they're doing their best; they're doing anything they can do to help. So for you to judge a guy, talk about championships, like everybody wants to win a championship. Guys are not not trying to win championships. You know, sometimes it happens for guys, sometimes it doesn't. But these guys are doing a lot of special things off the court. So you gotta you gotta show them some respect and show them some love for all the things they're doing. Yeah, and it's a team game, too. So, like, you can't just put every time that Russ didn't win a chip on Russ. No, of course not. Like, sometimes it's, teams have better teams. And, you know, it's a lot of great players that didn't win championships. You were just in the league. You were in the bubble. So, like, what what led to the Pelicans being that first uh, that first job that you sought? Um, yeah, for sure. I, I feel like I, I – sorry. I feel like I can still play for sure. I'm sure, yeah. If it wasn't for COVID, I definitely probably would still be trying to play. But with everything happening with COVID and I just had a baby, I like kind of wanted some stability and not have to worry about like trying to get into protocols or trying to find a job, trying to go here, trying to like be away from my little my little guy all the time. So I, and I always wanted to coach. And so when this opportunity came up, um, it was hard to turn it down just because it's a great situation with a bunch of young players that are really good. And a bunch of guys I know got played with freaking half my team. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah, I was going to ask you all that too. Like, how does it feel like just having so many guys that you played with and against, you know, still playing and you're, you know, on the bench, is that a little weird or like, how, how does that dynamic work? Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's weird because they still treat me like I'm a player, word, word. <laughs> but, um, but they listen to me because they know, like, like if I say something, I'm not saying just to be talking, like I'm only going to say something if I, if I know it's right or if I did it before, like I know I did it. So I know it can be done. So if I tell you like, 
it needs to be like this, they they listen. So I feel like it's a little easier for me. Yeah, you played on that uh, young Laker team with it was Randall, Lonzo, Josh Hart, Jordan Clarkson, B.I., KCP, Kuzma, Larry Nance Jr. <clears throat> Do you think if those guys developed into who they are now, which is obviously like, as, especially for you in your field, you know that each situation develops guys differently, but just hypothetically speaking, how good do you think that Lakers squad is if they all fully bake in the oven in L.A.? Um, I think they would end up being pretty good, being really good, actually. Because, you know, if you get a group and they stay together and all those guys work extremely hard, I think a lot of times people don't see the work these guys put in. And all those guys, they were putting in a lot of work. Um, so it's just in situations when you have a bunch of young guys, teams want to like, team like in the market like L.A., they, they want to win right away, though. So it's they're not going to just develop you when they can get a guy like LeBron. So are you with what the Lakers did? Like, they, had, they did right. They had a lot of good young talent, and they turned it into LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So the Lakers did a great job as a franchise. And these young guys, they kept working their butts off, and that's why they're in a good situation there right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in the how the offense has changed. I know that you weren't there, obviously, last year, but you guys are doing a lot of interesting things using the using Zion the way that you're using him. Lonzo's being used in a different way. Um, obviously, like Zion being this primary playmaker. It's interesting because the Warriors are using Draymond like that a little bit, too. And you've got Braun that sort of does that, too, this whole point forward thing. Uh do you think that's like a new wave or is this just like a, it's just like you said, a situational thing, depending on how the coaches want to use their players. When you have a talent like Zion Williams, you're going to get the ball. You're gonna <laughs> so I'm not going to say situational, uh, what's going on in the NBA. This is a Zion Williamson thing for us. Like this guy is really good and he's really good with the ball in his hands. So <laughs> we're going to give him the ball and, let him be Zion Williamson. And that's why we've been really good. And he has a lot of teammates like Lonzo and B.I. They want him to be great. So they're able to, here you go, big fella. We're going we're gonna to help you do what we do and you do what you do. It's interesting because B.I. And, and Lonzo were both stars in their own right when they were doing their thing. To be able to defer to, to Zion when Zion's younger and, and want him to be great, that's special. Oh, yeah, definitely special. That's why I think these um, these guys are going to be. This is going to be a really good future. And you got two superstars. Bi was all star last year. Zion's all star this year. And then you have a guy like Zoe who's really good. He doesn't get enough credit for how good he is, and he's only getting better because he's twenty three years old. All these guys are young, and they're only going to get better. So they just got to stick together. I got banged on on Twitter because I said I'd rather have Lonzo as my point guard over Ben Simmons, and that was fa- I said that. People, so I, I give I give Lonzo a lot of credit. Oh, the way he's shooting the ball, I tell you what, I tell you what. Hey, can we teach Zion another move other than that spin to the left? Hey man, they can't stop. Hey, I know, I know. It's so funny to me. Like whenever I talk about, I'm like, he kind of does the same thing a lot, and no one seems to be able to do anything about it. Isn't that your job, Corey? Man, he's like. You look up and you're like, oh, he's not not for 10? Like, what? <laughs> Every night, like, it's, they can't stop it. So just keep doing that move. They literally yeah. all go over there, too. You can see them trying to shade left and try to stop. And it's like, you just he's just too strong. Yeah, he's too strong. Once he gets to where he wants to get to, and it's the touch. He has amazing touch to be so big. Oh, like, yeah. Once he gets on the glass, it just, like, it just falls in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not amazing. like it's not like some of these other guys that – hit the ball hard off the backboard and just hope it goes in off the angle, you know? Uh, this is soft. This, this is yeah, soft. soft touch. No, it's funny. It's 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 interesting to watch his development. Um, and he's not one of those guys. I'd love to see Zion give the, like, you're too little. He never does um, that. He never, like, just is like, you know, never does any flexing. You know me, <laughs> as somebody who wants to hit the exit sign. Like, yeah. if, I was, <laughs> if I was him, I would be running the scoreboard up. When uh, I remember when you were drafted, me and Marty were talking about this when we found out that we were going to talk to you about how David Stern said your name. He was like, he said it so funny, like, Corey Brewer. I think someone <laughs> shouted it out in the crowd, and then he was like, oh, yeah, Corey Brewer. Yeah. I don't know. It, it always stuck with me. I was wondering if you ever heard that. 
I've never heard it. That's when I was like, go back and watch it. Like, first of all, I didn't think I was going to Minnesota, so I was shocked when they oh, called really? my name. And I was kind of like, oh, Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's everyone who ever gets drafted to Minnesota. No, I really thought I was going. I thought I was going to pick later. So when I when I went, I was like, oh, okay. Oh, damn. Great. I'm just happy to be drafted. Like dream come true. But hey. And and no, was sitting right next to you, right? Did you feel any pressure being that first draft pick after KG left for Boston? Uh, see, that's the thing. KG hadn't left for Boston yet right. when I got drafted. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> it was, it was like, that in-between zone. Yeah, it was like two weeks after, three weeks after I got drafted. So they probably never could use any of my interviews when I got drafted because all I talked about was, oh, man, I can't wait to play with KG. <laughs> I can't wait to get to Minnesota. I used to love KG growing up. <laughs> I get there, there ain't no KG, so it's like, oh, okay. That's what happened and, when Sexton was drafted, too, because he was like kept talking about LeBron, and then LeBron left two weeks later. Yeah, and the craziest thing for me is we end up making the trade, and we brought in a bunch of young guys. And um, we brought in Al Jefferson, and they gave him the big contract, so it was like, oh, we're going to go to Al Jefferson. Like, we're going to play, and we're going to go into our big man. So that was the craziest adjustment for me that, in the NBA was I go from playing fast, moving all the time, to standing in the corner and throwing it in the post every possession. Well, I'm, lucky, I'm lucky I made it as long as I made it. Cause, <laughs> cause that could have been, been the end of me. <laughs> you, uh, I, I've always had relationships with friends where when they have a little bit of beef, I have beef with that person too. That's like kind of how I am as a friend. I know Joakim has had his... Uh, his tussles with KG when KG came back to Minnesota and you were on that team, did you give him like an elbow on Joe Keen's behalf in practice? Nah, I don't think their beef was that serious when he came back at first, <laughs> but definitely I would take up for my guy if I could. Hey. It's like, this would, one's for Noah. Sure. <laughs> Gotta look out for my guy. No doubt. No doubt. Um, you talked about Zach Levine being one of the most underrated players, uh, and he's now having that breakout season. What do you think was about his game gave you that feeling? Um, I had Zach when he was uh, early, when he was a rookie. Yeah. I used to go back at night and work out, and he would be in there just working on his game. And he always was always working hard. And I could tell, like, this, this kid's going to be really good. And just the last few years, he was getting better and better. And I'm like, oh man, he's getting comfortable. He's he's about to he's gonna have a breakout year. And I just felt like this year with Coach Donovan, my guy Coach Donovan going over there, he, he was gonna he was gonna <laughs> another level. And hey, he prove me right. What's the difference between college Coach Donovan and pro Coach Donovan? Because you played for both. Yeah, not too much actually. Um, you know, in college he's a little more intense because you treat guys a little different when they're. You know, when you're in college, it's a little different. But he's always been a player's coach. So that's why I kind of knew he would be a really good NBA coach because he was a player's coach, and he always puts his players in position to succeed. Like, it's not about his system. It's about the guys he has and the way they play. Yeah, a lot of guys, I think a lot of coaches try to keep their system the same regardless of the personalities and the personnel that they have. I think one of the greatest Examples of that is happening right now with Steve Kerr. Like Steve Kerr wants to run things the way he wants to run them. No matter who's there, he's going to do it his way. Uh, I mean, that's just facts. But uh, did he did he call you the drunken dribbler while you were playing for him in OKC like he did when you were in Florida? Nah, <laughs> that's funny. I got the drunken dribbler in college, but it's funny because... <laughs> They say I dribble drunk, but I never lose the ball. So, like, I'm the best drunk driver ever. It used to be a running joke because they'd be like, yo, you can't dribble at all, but nobody ever takes it. You never lose it. It's, how is that possible? It's, say, just, hey. it's just a little bit sloppy looking. That's all. I say, it's just, I say I've been clumsy my whole life, so it's just, it just looks funny. <laughs> I'm going to call a little bit of cap on that. I know y'all were balling way too hard to not go into practice hungover sometimes. Ah, uh, man, come on. <laughs> I believe that a lot. You know, just put it this way. We had a lot of fun in college. We can't go back and win it again. 
I mean, yeah. And if it's working, just keep, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, I, I was mentioning your name to a Clipper fan who's a barista down the corner from me. And we talk about basketball a lot. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking to Corey Brewer later. And he's like, Corey Brewer, he ruined our one chance at a title as a Clipper fan. It was the year before the Warriors were really, really good. It was what, 2015, right? I think it was 2015. Yeah, 2015. And the Rockets uh, were down. Uh, it was it was Clippers were up three one on the Rockets. Oh yeah. And then Corey Brewer came loose. I think someone else came loose too. Josh Smith. Yep, Josh Smith. <laughs> and Blake Griffin had some like crazy layup, and then all of a sudden Corey Brewer and Josh Smith like took fire. I think you had 19 points in Game Six and 10 rebounds, something crazy. Yeah, uh, like. What, in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah. What What do you remember about that series with the Clippers? And do you think that that was their one chance that you guys stole? We, um, I remember they were really good and nobody gave us a chance. They thought, you know, they're up 3-1. It was over. And I remember being down 20 and in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's all right. We're down 20. We just got to make a run. And I remember getting a layup, then getting another layup, then making a three. And after that, I was like, oh, it's on. <laughs> I can't miss. <laughs> and then Josh got hot. And it was just a lot of fun. Um, we talked a little bit about Zoe. I would be remiss to not ask about the fact that he is on an expiring. A lot of chatter about whether he wants to stay in New Orleans. He just, I think, went on the record yesterday say, I do want to stay. Um, I think he's playing some of his best basketball. I think him being off ball and being a shooter and playing defense versus being the playmaker now that Zion's being the playmaker makes him an even bigger valuable like asset for the for the team. Do you think he has played himself into a larger role? Like do you do you see him sticking around after this year? Oh sure. I I feel like he's gonna stick around because he he likes his teammates and he likes it here. He loves New Orleans. So but he wants to be here. So I feel like he'll be here. I think New Orleans is an underrated city. It's a we talked about it being tough to build a brand in New Orleans because it's a football city, but I love it there from a music and food perspective. It's one of my favorite places in the country. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. it's a great city. And but if you're winning, it doesn't matter what mark you in. We just got to win. <laughs> right? Yeah. No. As long as you're really good, you can make a mark. You can make a yeah. You can make that for yourself uh, wherever you go. And I yeah, I love New Orleans too. I went I went to LSU from there. Great. Great place. Go Ducks. Yeah. Sure. All right. <laughs> both you teams have beaten them. Part, but it's, it is a good hey, city. Hey, y'all got us. Y'all got us when you were there. It's fine. <laughs> the John Brady era. Y'all ended the John Brady era, actually, I think. I think that was his last game <laughs> oh, in man. the SEC tournament. <laughs> Corey, Corey, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been oh. a blast. I'm so glad that you remember me and my gigantic hops. Tell your friends. That there is a barstool employee with tremendous hops. Like if she was uh, a foot taller, she'd be in the WNBA. Oh, uh, she'd definitely be dunking. <laughs> She'd be dunking. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Do you have anything else, Marty? Are we Gucci? Uh, no, I think we're good. Uh, just uh, wanted to let you know uh, we might be at the game in Brooklyn at some point. So my. Might come, might come say hey. Yeah, we'll come say hi yeah. if we do. Yeah, you got to come say hello. Absolutely. Right. Don't, don't be shady, though, if we do. Don't be like, oh, I don't remember you. I don't know you. I'm going to say, come on, let's get the push-ups on. Yeah, get, <laughs> get the push-up challenge on. Thanks so much for coming on. That's all the time that we have for the This League podcast. Please subscribe. Please rate. Please review. Please unsubscribe and resubscribe. Tell your friends to do the same fucking thing. We need our numbers up. Uh, it makes a huge, huge difference for us. Uh, do not forget to follow us on Twitter, IG and TikTok and on YouTube at this league and Trista underscore Crick. Thank you so much for listening. We have a phenomenal show coming up Monday. We've got a special guest, which we will let you know on Monday. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to tell you who it is. 